Hello. Today we're going to be talking about living in apartments in Russia and that amazing $120,000 defamation payout right here in Sydney. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I run the Flat Chat website and write the column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, journalist and author. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. So you've just back from Russia. Yes, I went there on a special assignment for Flat Chat Podcast. Right. Yeah, Looking at apartments. We don't want people to get the idea we've got a much bigger budget <laughs> than we actually have. So you've been in Russia, and, and what's the story about living in apartments there? Well, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, if you go to Moscow and St. Petersburg in particular, nearly everybody lives in apartments. They've had apartment living for much longer than us. And obviously during the Soviet era, all the apartments were free. Everything was paid for because there was no private property. Ah, because property was theft, according to Karl Marx. Ah, uh, well, actually, Proudhon said property is <laughs> oh, right. I see. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Marx um, kind of embraced that quite rigorously. So you had a free flat, your free apartment in Moscow or St. Petersburg. That's right. And free medical care, free education, free everything. And all of which is gone, I suppose. Well, that's right. Because, I mean, along with the free everything you had, yeah. you also had to queue for days for food and um, for vodka when vodka was banned at one point. Right. Since Perestroika, which ended in the about 1991, I think, yeah. now you can have private property. And now 80% of the apartments are privately owned. Right. Which is incredible. I mean, it's only been 20 years, hasn't yeah. it, really? And but... 90% of them are on Airbnb. <laughs> Actually, I don't know whether there is Airbnb there, but that would be worth looking at, wouldn't it, really? It would, yes. Mm. Something we should have done before we started this podcast, perhaps. <laughs> so what can you tell us about living in apartments? And what are they well, like? Are they are they small? Are they dark? You get, you know, you think back to the old days of Soviet Russia and, you know, it was pretty grey and grim, according to what we got in the West. Well, interestingly, it's not really very grey and grim. You always kind of think of Moscow like that. One of the Russians I became friendly with, one of the tour guides, a guy called Misha, he was saying that it's great amusement to, to people in Russia that everybody in the West thinks that Moscow is so such an awful city because actually it's a really nice place. And he said, well, you know, we were always painted as the evil empire. Um, so it was in their interest to, to make us look really ghastly, but actually it's a pretty nice place now. And you see people kind of scrubbing the streets, you know, with brooms and hot water and wow. soap. Like there's real pride in the city. Right. And the apartments are really varied. In Moscow, there's a lot of old Soviet-style blocks, which are kind of big concrete blocks with only quite small windows, and they look quite stern. But there are older blocks from the older days, All right, kind yeah. of nice Art Deco blocks. And then there are new blocks, you know, kind of real tower blocks with balconies often kind of enclosed because the climate in Moscow doesn't really lend itself to um, no. <laughs> um, open balconies where it, it can get down to, you know, very, very low temperatures. Yeah, yeah, lots of snow and ice and rain. And wind. The wind comes off uh, the Arctic, I think, as well. Oh, right. And, but it's interesting because they have very, the apartments are generally very, very small. Yeah. I think in the old Soviet days, extended families used to live together. And these days, they don't. It's much more modern, you know, families live by themselves. But the apartments are still pretty tiny. Usually, um, an average apartment for a family would be about 40 square metres. 40 yeah. for a family? Yeah. 
Now, the absolute minimum here in Australia in most states is, I think, 35. And mm. that's tiny. Yeah, absolutely. But here we love to have, you know, if we could afford it, a bathroom per person almost. Right. That hasn't really hit Russia yet. Right. I mean, I'm sure it will come. But um, no, there's one bathroom for a whole family. Um, you know, people sleep in the same bedrooms. Yeah, they're, they're very, very small. But, you know, they're pretty cheap when they sold them off. They, right. you know, sold them for very small prices. And while 80% are now privately owned, 20% are still publicly owned. Right. And they go to people who are on very low incomes or who have no income. Right. Or essential workers. Oh, well, that's a good Which idea. is something that we are always striving for, I think, in New South Wales and Victoria. And yeah. Most of Australia, really. We kind of feel that there should be subsidised apartment living for people who we need to live in the cities, really, who can't really afford it, like teachers, yeah, childcare yeah. workers, yeah. you know, those kind of people on very low incomes. But then you go to St. Petersburg, which is, you know, a much more European city. Right. And there are some fabulous places because it's all these beautiful kind of 17th century, 18th century, 16th century buildings wow. that used to be palaces. Right. And St. Petersburg is the city of palaces where the very rich um, used to live. Right. I think there's something like 18,000 palaces in the city alone. Wow. And now many of those have been converted into apartment buildings, and they're pretty special. Right, with all full of uh, Russian oligarchs. and. Well, yes. <laughs> Some of them live there, but because they're such, you know, they, they would have put, um, they would have knocked apartments into big communal apartments, whereas um, other people can buy a small apartment in the city centre, which is a small one in one of the big buildings. Yeah. Um, for not very much money at all. So did you get the impression that people in Russia were generally happy with their lot? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting. Perestroika has, has changed people's lives out of all proportion. The place has changed enormously in the last 20 years, and people um, of our age group in their kind of 40s, ha. <laughs> um, they, they remember the, the terrible cues for food and right. for drink. And now the place is really prosperous. It's really thriving. That's obviously in the cities. In the yeah. countryside, I think, is a little bit harder. There's very little unemployment in Moscow and St. Petersburg, but in the country there's a bit more unemployment, obviously. I mean, like most developed countries. I think most people feel pretty happy with the way things have gone. I mean, they're pretty uneasy with the, the situation with the oligarch. There are now huge gaps between rich and poor in Russia. And as we know, there was a recent report saying that Putin was probably the most the richest person in the world, which is kind of incredible, really. Yeah. Um, but somebody else I talked to, a woman called Olga, was saying about the older generation say that they kind of, they don't really miss the Soviet days, but they miss the, the feeling of equality. And now they find it quite hard because there are such big gaps between the poor and the rich. Yeah. And they kind of miss, really, the, uh, the idea that everybody was equal and everybody had an equal income. And they're a little bit nostalgic for that. Right. And they're also a little bit nostalgic for the way that they would maybe one day have a, a new pair of shoes, which was a really unusual thing. And there would be such joy and celebration in a family at, at something so wow. little. It's, but it's kind of like the, the nostalgia that all older people feel for the, their youth when things were simpler. And Yeah. Ah. So when you go on holiday, everybody goes on holiday to somewhere fabulous and they start wandering around estate agent windows 
um, or hanging around estate <laughs> agent windows and thinking, oh, I could live here. So could you imagine yourself ever living in St. Petersburg? Well, it is a gorgeous city. It's kind of a, a cross between Paris and Rome, really. It really is stunning. But no, I don't think I, I could live. I mean, just your, the language, your, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the language is absolutely impossible. I was there two weeks and I learned how to say thank you. And that's about it, really. Isn't wow. that shocking? That's, you know, and I'm pretty good at languages, but the language is hard. The food, the food is actually pretty good, but there's sour cream on everything. I think I put on about 10 kilos in two right. weeks. <laughs> but people are really nice. People are very, very friendly, which is not something you think about. They always say the service workers are the most inhospitable. And that's <laughs> probably true. There's lots of people who are not very helpful, who are in officialdom. But when they're just the general public, they're extraordinarily helpful and really keen to tell you what a great country they live in. And uh, that's kind of quite heartwarming, really. All right. And you turned up on, on the big Victory Day celebration. Yes, that was a bit of an error, really. But yes, that's when in Moscow, when in Red Square, they have the huge parade of soldiers and bands, marching bands and tanks yeah. and everything. Missiles. and Well, yeah, that's right. And that sounds really exciting. I thought that would be fantastic to go and see. But of course, you can't get anywhere near it because it's invited guests only. And that means kind of heads of state. It's really right. high up. But you could see all the people from... Um, 6 a.m. in the morning, trailing with the tubers and the trumpets and all their instruments, going off to Red Square. And there's a real air of excitement in the city. Right. It's quite incredible, you really. You didn't flash your flat chat card. Say, Excuse me, I'm the flat <laughs> chat correspondent. Let me through. That would have been a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. All right. I can say spasiba to uh, Sue for her coverage of her trip to <laughs> Russia. When we come back, we're going to talk about this amazing defamation case and the award of $120,000 here in Sydney. That's after this. And I'm back with Sue Williams. Sue, while you were away, there was a court case in uh, Manly about a chair of a, an owner's corporation got into an email spat with a resident, I think a tenant, in fact, and she said a couple of, let's say, unwise things on an email and ended up with him getting $120,000 in defamation. What, what do you make of that? Is that extraordinary to you or should she have seen it coming? Well, I think all of us who've been in apartments have sent unwise emails at certain times. We've got really annoyed with Usually people. Usually about one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And after a few glasses of wine, probably. So it's kind of, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's a bit of a worry because I think it means that people are going to have to be very, very careful about anything they say about anyone on email and strata committees again. Yeah. Because look, there are always arguments within strata and, and people get really heated up because it's their own home. Yeah. And so therefore they get a lot more emotional about it. But yeah, this sets a real, really interesting precedent. And I kind of think a bit of a dangerous precedent, really. But maybe we're going to be a bit more of a polite society. Oh, yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, maybe a more careful society. I mean, reading the judgment, basically, the the judge said, look, everything in this email. I mean, you look at the email, it says, you keep sending me these messages about, and, and the argument, believe it or not, was the woman concerned uh, left her letterbox open. And mm. the chairman kept saying to her, look, don't leave your letterbox open because the letter is one of these 
small unit blocks with the letterboxes outside to make it easier for thieves. And um, <laughs> he he said, don't leave it open. And he came back and said, look, he'd spoken to a locksmith who'd said, because he can get at the back of your lock, then they can make a, a master key that gets into everybody's letterbox, which I'd never heard of before. Mm, but they had had some burglaries But they had two break-ins, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he was trying to keep things neat and tidy. And finally, after a few of these, she wrote an email and said that he was trying to diminish her standing in the community and that he was acting in a cowardly manner. Mm. And there was a lot of kind of semi-sarcastic comments mm. that when you look at them, there's not many of them that you would say were devastating. Yeah. But the judge said every comment in this is directed at diminishing his standing in the community. Mm. But 120, and that's that's 90,000 of straightforward damages and 30,000 of aggravated damages. So the judge obviously felt that this gentleman had uh, had really suffered emotionally uh, as a consequence of these emails. But what can you do? I mean, you should be able to have a fairly open and... Uh, vigorous. Vigorous, that's the word mm. I'm looking for, discussion, but obviously not. Yeah. Do you know if they're going to appeal? I've no idea. I would, it's, I would say it was because they, they, they're also going to award costs against the defendant. And that will be, you're talking two lots of lawyers fees. Sure. So, uh, who, who knows? I mean, if you look on the positive side, it will encourage people to be a lot less flamboyant in their criticism of other people on email. Yeah. But then again, maybe it means that they will just do it in person much more and there'll be more incidents of, violence <laughs> in <laughs> right. apartment buildings right i don't yeah, know I hadn't maybe thought of that. But, but you know that thing about the email is it's a document it's mm. proof you can't turn around and say oh i you thought i said this and i actually said that and nobody was there to witness it yeah i think maybe the confrontations in the foyer might increase in their their number and their ferocity look you know without going into this particular case too much there isn't enough communication mm. within most strata schemes people aren't talking to each other enough and you'd have to think that there's a level of frustration on the part of the defendant in this, that she kept getting emails about something that she felt clearly was trivial. Mm, yeah. And So that's likely to inhibit um, communication even further now. Well, you know, and people, you know what people are like, you know, as soon as you say to the committee, let's send somebody an email telling them to keep their dog under control, somebody on the committee will say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We'll get done for defamation. Mm, yeah. And it may encourage people to become even more lit litigious, really, which is always awful, I think, in strata living. Well, I'd imagine there's a few people living in apartments who are going through their emails going, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, a $50,000 insult here. <laughs> I just call my lawyer. I think you should um, double your insurance, Jimmy. Yes, well, if I had any, I would. <laughs> no, it's 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 a bit of a shock to the system. I think I will, the general impression I'm getting from people in the industry is it was a justified result when you look at the tone of the emails and the content of the emails. But the actual award, the the amount of the award just feels... Mm. I mean, it's not up there with Jeffrey Rush and his 2.9 million, but in terms of a tenant in an apartment who wrote a strongly worded and unwisely worded email 
$120,000 seems like quite a lot. Yeah, but usually it attracts qualified privilege, doesn't it, if that email only goes to the Strata Committee members? Well, the, the thing that destroys the qualified privilege is malice. Like, mm. if you sent an email or, or a committee sent an email to uh, an owner or, and circulated it around the building uh, that contained slights against the person's character, and there were a number of these, then the person could say, well, okay, yes, my dog keeps barking, but you have called me an idiot and mm. antisocial. And that's malicious because you've sent it out to all these people to make me look, you know, mm. to, to reduce... Yeah. yeah, make me look stupid and bad and antisocial. Mm. Um, so in, in those circumstances, you could say, yeah, that your qualified privilege that you get because you're communicating about the management of the building has just evaporated. That's mm. gone. Yeah. When we come back, on a happier note, I hope, we'll be talking about a couple of the funny stories we've come across or have occurred to us in the past week or so. That's after this. And we're back. So, Sue, what funny stories have come across your desk this week? Well, I was looking at the um, website of the OCN, the Owners Corporation Network. Yep. You know, the peak Harmon Bodies Yes, our friends. Yeah, and they had a really interesting thing put up. The relative of a resident couldn't get hold of them in their apartment building. So they contacted the strata and said, look, we're really worried that maybe, you know, he's in danger or maybe he's had a heart attack or something awful's happened because we can't get in touch with him. Can you check and see how he is? So the strata president knocked on his door and um, there was no answer. So in the end, they called the police And they said to the police, look, maybe you could um, go to a locksmith and get a key cut and and go in. And the police said, no, no, no. If we suspect that somebody's in danger, there's only one way that we can resolve that. And they just knocked down the door. And the guy was fine. There was no problem at all. Maybe he was just ignoring calls from his family. I don't know. Maybe I have a theory that he was had the headphones on and he was binge watching on Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, that's Get, quite possible. You know, he just zonked out, zoned out totally, just sitting there with bags of crisps. And that's <laughs> that would have been a surprise when suddenly the police arrived, I guess. <laughs> but then it was interesting because what was left was, you know, a really broken down door. So should the strata pay for that or should the resident? And the resident said, no, 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 I should pay for that because, you know, it was my fault and you were kind of doing me a favour. But the strata manager said, no, no, the strata should pay for it because it's common property. Um, Phil Gall, who's the chair of the Owners Corporation Network, he kind of feels that, yes, the strata should pay for it. Really, when you say the strata, because this this is sorry. a thing, it's this you're talking about the strata scheme, the strata scheme, the yes. owners' corporation. Yep, the owners' corporation. Phil Gore, he's he kind of advised that it was really nice of the resident to offer to pay, and yes, in some circumstances, the resident you know should should be allowed to pay, but in these circumstances, everybody acted in good faith, so maybe the um, the owners' corporation should pay for having the door done because it's an owners' corporation door. That's right. The door belongs to them. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And uh, maybe they'll be able to get a bit back on insurance anyway. Right. Until until the insurers hear this podcast and then they'll go, hang on. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, he's watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> Sue them. Uh, my funny story is uh, I was talking to somebody from Melbourne the other day and he was talking about this huge building, something like 280 apartments and 117 
apartments in this building in Melbourne are on Airbnb. Oh my God. Or other agencies like that, you know, these holiday letting agencies. Because the law on Airbnb in Victoria is anybody can have it wherever they want and it's only if there's a problem that happens three times. Can you believe this? That somebody has to destroy an apartment three times before you can come and say to that person, you cannot have Airbnb in that apartment anymore. But meanwhile, mayhem can be happening oh in the rest of the building. Oh my God, that sounds horrendous. So this is a big building near one of the football stadiums, so they get a lot of football fan traffic. There is no communal area there. And then the person I was talking to said they, they visited one one night and the football fans had all congregated in the foyer. So there was something about 50 of them. Oh no. Just having an impromptu party. <gasps> so oh. they're going crazy. I don't know if it was that occasion, but another football match where the football fans had gone down, they decided it you know, 11 o'clock at night, they'd go for a swim in the building swimming pool. And when they, they got there, they find it is locked, as a lot of, a lot of buildings mm. do. They lock the swimming pools at night. So they just kicked the door down and, oh. uh, and went into the swimming pool. This is wonderful Victoria, this genius government there allowing short term rentals with no limits on them. And so the building manager, they, you know, they can't do anything. They, they, the law in Victoria is so bad, you cannot do anything about it. And he decided, well, one thing we can do is all these, you know, these kind of lock padlock case things. Mm. You see them, they've got a combination. They hang off railings. And yeah, things so the Airbnb yeah, yeah. people can go in They get, get the an keys. email saying this is the code for the, the padlock. Mm. Or the key safe, I think, is the correct mm. name for it. So they had literally hundreds of these on the railings outside the building. And he said, well, the railings are common property. So he wrote to everybody saying, take these things off or we'll remove them and got no response. Mm. And so he went out one night with bolt cutter <laughs> and took more than a hundred of these off <gasps> the railings. Oh, what a great put, building manager. And put them in a wheelie bin <laughs> and sent, you know, if you're missing your key safe, have a look at the bin in the corner. That's where I've put them. Mm. And of course, in the meantime, they've got all these holiday makers turning up going, where's my key? Mm. <laughs> in accents, just like that. So they're and all from Liverpool. They're all... <laughs> And they thought, well, that's that. That'll put paid to the problem. Within a few days, a little nail salon directly across the road had started renting out space on their railings. Oh no! So that the whole the, the key safes could be could be put there. Oh, isn't that heartbreaking? I mean, fancy owning an apartment in that building or living in that building. Yeah. I mean, what if you had a family as well and. You know, are you a retiree and you've, you've downsized yeah. and you thought a nice building, the near center of, of Melbourne, we're going to have mm. a nice time. And this guy, the person I was talking to said, in some buildings, people on the weekend are frightened to go out of their, their front door at, at night because they can right. hear all the craziness going on. Yeah. I mean, who's going to, who's policing this? Mm. The Victorian government, Mr. Andrews, Premier Andrews, you should be ashamed of yourself. You mm. should be utterly ashamed of yourself that you have decided that you want to increase tourist revenue at the expense of apartment residents. Mm. And thank God that here in New South Wales, at the last minute, they had the sense to bring in the ability for us to create bylaws. If we don't want Airbnb or these other letting agencies in our building, we don't have to have them. Yeah. But Victoria 
What a shambles! What a disgrace!、Mm. And on that note, <laughs> welcome back from Russia.、Um, Thank thanks you. for thanks for coming in today and 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 having a chat. And、um, I'll talk to you again soon. Fantastic! Thanks very much, Jimmy. Thanks again to property journalist, travel writer, and author Sue Williams for coming in and giving us her unique perspective on apartment living. You can find more details about the court case we mentioned via links on the Flat Chat website. That's flat-chat.com.au. If you enjoy listening to these podcasts, you can subscribe completely free of charge on iTunes or other podcatcher software. That way, you'll get fresh podcasts delivered directly to your phone, tablet, notebook, or computer as soon as they're posted by us. Please give us a rating, especially if you like the pods, and we love it when listeners pass on the podcast to family, friends, and colleagues. The more people who listen, the happier we are. And if you want to know more about apartment living or have specific questions you need answered, please go to flat-chat.com.au. I'm Jimmy Thompson. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon.